Um, the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Can we say that together? The Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. Everything from Genesis to Revelations and even now today, listen to me carefully, everything is about Jesus. And if you believe that, can you give the Lord some praise this morning? It's about Jesus. All right, so John chapter 5. Let's read a story of Jesus, and let's talk about how Jesus did a miracle in the life of a man who was literally lame for 38 years. Sitting by a pool, Jesus decided to change his life one day. The Bible says in John chapter 5 verse 1, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is now called in Hebrew, Bethesda. Bethesda. Say it with me. Say Beth. As duh. Now say it without stopping. Bethesda. There you go. I had to teach myself that there for a moment. Having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed. Waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4. If you love underlining your Bible. Highlighting your Bible. Or just doing it on your mobile device. It says, verse 4. For an angel. It's interesting. Could they see the angel? I don't think so. We're going to come back to that. Might surprise you a little bit today. I'm geeking out in the Bible today. I hope you're okay with that. It says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, and he stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, everyone say first, after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 Years And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already, uh-oh, another key word, already. Meaning this is not the very first time that Jesus has seen this young man. Well, yeah, he's, he's young. I'm 39. We'll call him 38. That's young. My wife says when I turn 40, apparently that all changes. I don't believe her. I think she's lying and she needs to repent. But already having that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Interesting question for a man who's been sick for 38 years. Do you want to be made well? Notice what he says. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he doesn't get in first. So Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. That's, that's awesome. He took up his bed and he walked. He did exactly what Jesus said to do. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the religious people. And the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Man, them religious people, man. They make me mad. (laughs) And we can be mad at them because Jesus got mad at them too. Jesus called them brood of vipers, snakes. That's like... I mean, we don't say mama jokes no more, but that's, that's like making fun of someone. Actually, it's more so like calling it out. There's a difference between name calling and calling things out. Truth. This is not a marriage message today. Moving on. Verse 11. And he answered them, and he said, who made me well? Or who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know. Oh, this is good. Did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn 
a multitude being in that place. Jesus didn't care about the credit. Didn't come to this earth for the credit. Anything we do on behalf of God is not about us. It's always about him. It's never about the credit. He gets the credit. 20 years ago, Omar was set free from drugs. God gets the credit. Afterward, and we celebrate that. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Grace and truth. We talked about that last week. The man departed, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you from the subject of, do you want to be made well? It's a question. You have to answer it. Do you want to be made well? You say, Pastor, I'm not sick. It's just not a matter of being sick. How's your mind? How's your heart? How's your body? How's your relationships? How's your job? Jesus looks down today from his word. And it's almost as if he has a conversation between you and him. And he says, do you want to be made well? It's an amazing question. We're going to talk about it today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you give your neighbor a high five? And you may be seated. All right, so let's break down this passage today. Let's understand it. Let's understand what's going on in the situation. Let's put ourselves in the middle of the story. Bethesda means the house of mercy. The house of mercy. It represents scripture in the church. How many of you guys know the church to be a place that is full of mercy? And everyone said, amen. I want drug addicts to walk into this church. I want the broken to come into this church. I want the homosexuals to come in this church. I want the down and out who have nowhere else to go because they feel people look down on them in this church. So, so how does that happen? Well, it only happens if you create a culture that is welcoming to those. You guys have been in this service many times with my friend Joseph. He's homeless in this town. Every once in a while, he slips into the back and he sits down. He's got no place to live. He's strung out on drugs. Anytime I see him, I go get him a Gatorade or something to eat. I have a conversation with him. He comes here because he feels welcome here. Bethesda is the place where the sick and the broken and the blind would go. We see that in the story. It's what Jesus says, what the Bible says. Now, it's the house of mercy, and it says that at a certain time, an angel would come, and he would stir the water. Now, some hysterical writings, or hysterical, oh, historical, that could be bad. Some historical writers would believe that this started to take place, when it talks about this certain time, that it actually started to take place in the times upon which Jesus was living. Now, I find that interesting because it just so happens that Jesus growing up would go to this feast every single year with his parents. And at the time of these writings, the historians believe that as Jesus and his family was probably going, that the stirring started to take place. It kind of strikes me a little bit. Because if that is the case, Jesus is there. His parents would have been with them. So there's been a long debate theologically about this angel stirring 
the water? Is it a superstitious thing? Is it something that people have made up in their minds and all of a sudden they're sitting down and some little kid over in the corner of the pool just took a little pebble and just kind of threw it in there? Is this just one of those things where people make this up? Or is there more to it than we're seeing? I've often wondered, and this is just kind of like reading the Bible and kind of just wondering, you ever do that sometimes? I kind of wonder if when Jesus was little and they would go to this thing that he was in fact the angel, because in some translations it refers to the angel being a messenger and Jesus was the messenger of all messengers. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus would walk into this place and kind of go over to the pool and take his finger and just kind of stir it up a little bit. I can imagine his mama going, Jesus, do you have to do this every single time we come here? Get over here now. And then they start walking off. And as they're walking away, you hear somebody say, oh my gosh, I'm healed. And Jesus just go, that's right, you are. <laughs> now, I don't know for sure, but, but I, would, I just wonder if Jesus was the one who would come at this feast growing up and would steer that water. It's fascinating to me. In John chapter 5, Jesus is one year into his ministry upon this story. And as he goes by the pool again, he sees this man. Now, we don't know if he was 38 years old and he was born with this infirmity, but it says for, for 30, he's 38 and he's, he's stuck by this pool. If Jesus has been going every single year, Jesus has seen this man. He had to have. Now, again, I'm alluding to it, but I'm just thinking everybody's coming to the same place. And so they see this man and Jesus goes up and he, he asks a question that is odd. Because you would think like, um, anybody like uh, comedy? Anybody like comedy? It's okay, you can raise your hands. Clean comedy, okay, good. Um, you know that Billingville guy where he does the here's your sign, right? Like you say something that's like a dumb moment and then he makes a funny comment and then he says, here's your sign, right? This to me is a here's your sign moment if I'm being asked that question. I have been sick for 38 years. Remember, he doesn't know it's Jesus. I've been sick for 38 years and you're asking me if I wanna be made well? Duh, here's your sign. But Jesus asked, why does Jesus ask him a question that makes sense? Of course he wants to be healed. I think Jesus asked the question because he's seen this man many, many years still in the same condition. Now, I want to be sensitive here and be careful, but... If you gotta be the first one in the water, there's five pools, remember, that's what the scripture says. The feast is the same time every year. Get as close to the edge as possible. And when you see that water stir, roll over. Now again, I don't know. Who knows what kind of sickness he had? I don't know if he couldn't move from the, I don't know, but I would think that after a while of, of not being able to figure this out, you would conjure a plan to make it to where you're the first one going into the water. Why does this man not do it? I think, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking it's a lot like us 
with the stuff that we have. We know we should be set free from, and you can fill in the blank, but we're not. We know that we need to change, you can fill in the blank, but we don't. You ever been addicted to something? And you want to quit, but you just can't? There's a reason. Could be a lot of reasons. Got real quiet in here. (laughs) You ever been there? Let's just, uh, well, I'll say it's serious. Let's just say it's something that nobody else knows about. And you say it or you do it, whatever the case may be. And the first thought that comes to your mind is, I should not be doing that. And then the next time comes and you're tempted with it again. Because by the way, you're only tempted by the things that you actually like. That's what the scriptures say. You're not tempted by what you don't. You're tempted by what you do. So it comes back and you remember, man, the last time I did that, I told myself, I don't want to do that. And guess what happens this time? You do it. Why? Me too. Have you ever asked yourself? It's no different than the Apostle Paul. That was close. It's no different than the Apostle Paul. What did he say? The things I don't want to do, I do. We're no different. But you got to get back and you got to figure out why is it that I keep giving into this? Why is it that I keep falling victim to something that Christ gives me the power to overcome? Why is it, myself included, that we give so much credit to the devil when God is so much more powerful, but yet I can't overcome this? What's the reason? Now, I know I'm like repeating myself. You learn it in Communication 101. Why? Like, why is it that we just can't? A lot of reasons. So today, I just want to talk about some of them. Three of them to be exact. Three. Number one, we give excuses. This is a big one. It's in our human nature, right? To make an excuse. Ah, well, this is why I did that. This is why I said that. This is why I treated them this way. This is why I fell to this temptation. It's in our human nature. Notice what he says in verse 7. The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Hmm. Here's what he's saying. It's not my fault. I should be able to think this way. You know what? I should treat that person this way because you, know you know what they did to me? I, I should be closed off here because I've been hurt here. We buy into our own excuses. I can't tell you, not only as a pastor, but even as a friend. Come on, let's shoot straight here. Can we do that? Come on. How many times have we said to other people, or this is what I hear, Well, pastor, you just don't know what I'm going through. Could be true in some cases. I understand that. Pastor, I believe, I know, God can heal 
my, well, no, he can't. He can heal their marriage. Can't heal mine, though. Because, Pastor, you don't know how bad it is. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor, I, I know the Bible, praying, serving, giving, helping. Yeah, yeah. I know I should. I know I need to. But, man, I'm, I'm just way too busy right now. We, we got all these excuses. And then we start believing them. Can I say something to you real quick? I promise this is the heaviest part of my message. Some of you are like, thank you. But sometimes our excuses need to be dealt with because if not, you keep excusing yourself from dealing with what you need to deal with. Here's the thing. You are not the exception, nor is your situation the exception to God's power. Do you understand that? Your problem is not bigger than God. That's the issue. We take our problems and we elevate them. We, as a matter of fact, come on, we make them bigger than they are. Why? Excuses. Because we don't want to deal with it. I want to put it on the back burner. It's just, a, no, no, it's just not my time. Instead of, hey, I'm just going to own this. There's a couple in our church, and I am so proud of them. I won't call them out, but there are a couple in our church. And I can tell you right now, the most, the biggest thing in my life as a pastor that brings me great joy is not how well I speak on a Sunday morning. I don't ever walk away from the stage going, wow, Rich, you really knocked it out of the park today, buddy. That a boy. I don't do that. Because that's not the big deal. I need to study. I need to show myself approval. I get all of that. But that is not the biggest deal to me. Thank God the biggest deal to me is not how way I play on those things. Because I just hit them. I don't know what I'm doing up there. My, 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 my biggest joy is not, oh my gosh, everybody shared this quote like nine times on Facebook. Oh, going viral. That stuff don't matter. I'll tell you the biggest thing. Like this couple is when they come in and they say, look, here's the deal. Our marriage is in trouble. And pastor, we need help. And then we start to dialogue and then we start to work on it and then we start to get resources and then we start to pray. And then you check in on them and say, man, how's everything going? It's the best it's ever been. God is working on us. And I'm just like, I'm reading these text messages and I'm going like, that to me is the greatest compliment of anything. And it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of individuals. And it's God's power saying, my power is bigger than your excuses. And you know what else it was? It was work. Which leads me to point number two. Why don't we change? Because there's no real effort. Why are we not set free from the things that are holding us down, crippling us, stopping our momentum? Because there's no real effort. If there's something our culture is bought into, it's this. What's the quickest way I can get what I want? Our culture is bought into that. Sometimes, too, what's the easiest and the cheapest way I can fix this when the job doesn't call for the easiest or the cheapest? Well, 
What, how can I, like, like in 10 days, turn this thing around? I don't know. Very rarely does that work. In other words, what they're saying is, what's the minimal effort that I can put forward and see my life completely change? And you want to know what? If you want your life to completely change, it will not change that fast. Now, God will save you that fast, but then his word says, I will start a work in you. And then here's the crazy part that should lead us to know that this is a process of time. Until you breathe your last breath, God is working on you. But we don't want that. We want the minimal effort. We want it to be easy. I just don't see that. For the things in our lives that are big, I don't see a quick change. Why did Jesus not say to him, be healed? Verse 7, verse 6 and 7. He doesn't come over and just say, be healed. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? What does he say to him? He says, get up, grab your bed, and walk. Can we stop for a moment? Of course we will, because I'm up here and I'm the one with the microphone. <laughs> Does that sound easy to anybody in here? For a guy who's been lame for 38 years? You mean to tell me just get up and walk? I haven't been able to do that for a very long time. You want to know what that is? That's real effort. That's faith. Because he could have blew Jesus off. He could have said again, right? Well, you want to be healed? Sir, I have no one to put me in. Excuse number one. Then Jesus says, okay, get up and walk. Can't do that. I haven't done it for 38 years. But he doesn't. He gets up. And he walks. But a lot of times in our life, because of what's going on or what we have below the surface... Like this man, we're lame in our condition. And we want change, but we're not really willing to go after it. Here's my point. It's very easy to get comfortable in our weaknesses. And it's easy to say, you know what? I just don't measure up. It is what it is. You ever said that it is what it is? Yet God's saying, no, that's not true. This is what it could be. Oh, man. That's why I love reading the Bible. It usually tends to point out something where God says, hey, you could be. I'm like, that's good. I could be? Instead of, huh, here's what it is. Wait, God, I, I could be? God, I could be a better husband, a better dad, a better friend, a better pastor, a better community. I, I, I could be this? And God says, yes, you can. But if I'm not careful, I will say, well, oh, no. Lord, I'm just going to keep everything the way it is. In the water was only troubled during this major feast. You know how many times they had this feast? Three times a year. So what happened is, is this man developed a way of life. 
that just said, it is what it is. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? It's a fair question. A few months ago, I found myself sitting in a parking lot in our town. And MJ had gone inside to hit some golf balls. Shocker there. That's all he does now. If mom says we're going to Target, he knows Dick's Sporting Good is right next door. And they have one of those indoor golf simulators. He knows. So when she says Target, it's like his dogs, like dog ears, you know, they kind of just whoop. That's MJ. So, mom, heard you going to Target. You want to drop me off here? This kid lives to golf. And so one afternoon, it was actually a Sunday afternoon. I'd come off a, a long week. You all have long weeks too. I'm not the only one who has long weeks. but just tired. And uh, usually would want to go in and see him swing. I just, I, I was tired. And uh, I'm type A, you guys know. Um, yes, I park in the same parking spot every day. Um, if I go to a store, wherever the logo on the store is, that's the line that I drive down to park my car. Not because I'm type A, because I don't want to get lost and not be able to find my vehicle. It's a, it's a mechanism to find my vehicle every single time. Uh, if Vanessa knows and we're not together, she knows she can walk down the aisle with the logo on the building and she's going to find our vehicle, okay? And so um, I couldn't park there. There was somebody in my spot. Some of you are laughing, but I've seen the way you look at people when they take your spot in the pew, so. It's like during the worship service, someone's like, I've got to ask the Lord to forgive me. I can't even worship right now in spirit and in truth because I hate that person. They're in my spot. So I'm sitting there, and it's hot that day. It doesn't happen too often here. And um, a gentleman comes up to my truck. We're going to put a picture of him up on the screen comes up to my truck, and uh, it's a hot day. It has no shirt on. That's not unnormal. It's a hot day. But I've, I've had this happen before, and I knew the minute that he came, I knew exactly what he wanted. And he said, hey, man, he goes, I'm really dehydrated, and I could really use something to drink. Could you give me some money? And I know that look. I was raised with it. I saw it firsthand in my family. I know when a person's strung out, they got it. So in that moment, I'm like, all right, here we go, Lord. I'm not parked in my normal spot. I'm not doing what I would normally do, which is watch MJ play golf. But I'm sitting in my vehicle, and this man comes to my truck. So for me, I'm going, this is a moment. God has lined this up. So I said, sir, I go, I won't give you money. I said, but I'll be more than glad to go in and get you something to drink. So we did. Come back out, and I start to just get the conversation going. And one of the best things you can do for someone who's homeless, strung out on drugs, is ask them this. What's your story? Because most people don't. Most people blow them off. Most people want nothing to do with them. And rightfully so. Some people take them. I get it. But when you do that, when you ask them, hey, what's your name and what's your story? It's almost like they don't even know what to say. I don't mean to be funny here, but it's almost like they get baptized in the Holy Spirit and they can't put words together. Uh, Because no one does. So that day he told me his name and I said, what's your story? He starts to share his story. And he's just strung out on crystal meth. Years of it. And he's traveled up and down this coast from place to place 
strung out. Now, I know crystal meth very well. Not because I used it, because that's what took my little brother. And so, for me, I'm trying to hear the Holy Spirit in the midst of this whole conversation. And it just so happens on a Sunday afternoon when I can't park in my spot, when I'm not where I would normally be, that God sends a young man to my truck who just thinks he's going to get some money so he can get something to drink. But instead, it turns into, hey, let me speak into your life real quick. As Nate comes, this is what did not happen. He did not give his life to Christ that day. And while that hurts for me, I know a truth that only the Holy Spirit can bring a person to repentance. So I want to educate some of you here real quick. You're not a failure for Christ if you don't lead a person to Christ in a moment like this because you're not responsible for it anyways. Salvation is upon the Holy Spirit alone. Your job is to sow seed into the lives of people. Sow the gospel into the lives of people. Pray with people. And yes, if the Holy Spirit leads you, ask that question, would you like to receive the Lord today as your personal Lord and Savior? And I did. And here's where it always gets me. Here's how you know that a person really wants to change. They get rid of the excuses. They say, I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah, I'm ready to change my life. But here's where it meets. If I have to give my life to Christ, I have to make an effort. And that's where a lot of them stop short. That day, that man right there did not receive the Lord. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is not limited to that truck on that day in that spot. Because for all I know, that man right there could have put his head down wherever he slept that night and remembered the words of some guy sitting in a truck and give his life to Christ and checked himself in to a center and found real life change through the power of the Holy Spirit. It could have. I don't know, but it's my prayer. But here's why I say all of that. More times than not, whether it's a story like this or something in your life. I looked at this couple in no exact terms and just said, if you want your marriage to change, you got to put in the work. Friends, I'm telling you, if you want anything in your life to change, you've got to put in the work. Most of the time, we got to stop doing things we've been doing and start doing new things. If you want to get close to God, you've heard me say this, you are as close to God as you choose to be. God's not trying to run from you at all. So you want to get closer to him. Then that means you got to probably stop doing some stuff. you got to say no to some things so you can say yes to some things. Like getting closer to God. You want your marriage to get better. Say no to some things. Start saying yes to some things. You want your finances to get better. Say no to this. Yes to this. Which is God's way, by the way. You want the relationship with your children to be powerful. Say no to some things. Say yes. But at what I'm saying, put in the work. It'll be worth it. Would you look at your neighbor real quick and say, put in the work. All right, lastly, lastly. 
from this story, and this is a very weird point, by the way. Some of you are going to be like, what? But for some of you, you're going to get it right when I say it. You have to get rid of previous experiences. Now, hear me out. Let me finish. Because right there, I go, no, 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 no. I got to remember, of course, remember what God did. But I'm going to make it a little bit more. You need to let go of some previous religious experiences. Okay, let, let me, let me kind of press in. First, oh, I'm sorry, John 5, 9. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Okay. Sabbath was an Old Testament in the commandments. We talked about that. It does make its way into the New Testament. Some would say not, but they're wrong if they read the Bible. And I love them enough to tell them you're wrong because this is what the Bible says. And I'm going to take this whole point and wrap it up very simply. Had this man had given in to what the religious people said or maybe what his history would have been, he would have missed out on what was getting ready to take place in the days ahead. Remember, he doesn't know it's Jesus. It's just some man. And I have seen this so many times in the lives of those that are 50, 60, some even 70, where a religious experience of the past, and I'm so sorry for this, and a misinterpretation of God's word and how you treat people, that they have been turned off from God because someone decided to put a finger in their face and tell them nothing but truth and not tell them God's grace. You've heard this said before. It's the hellfire and brimstone preaching. Now, I'm for, hear me, I'm for presenting people with the truth, but it must be covered in grace because that's how Jesus operated. And I'm not saying, because I don't know the full story of everyone's lives that have been affected this way, that maybe at the heart of a person, maybe there was something good there, but they've been hurt. You know, I did a wedding two weeks ago, and the couple asked me not to mention one word of God. Not one. Please don't pray. Please don't quote the scripture. Please don't say it. You know what I did? I did the wedding. So, Pastor, how could you do that? I may not be able to say the name of Jesus at a wedding, but that does not mean his presence can't still show up. I want you to hear me. You say, you stepped back, Pastor. You may see it that way. But you know what I did that day? In those two people's lives, I planted a seed. Man, that was tough. And man, I prayed 
so hard on that decision and it broke me and it hurt but then God reminded me just reminded me of what he can do and not what I can do the reason they didn't want me to say anything is because the lady who was getting married was extremely hurt by the church and friends I won't share this story with you but it was legitimate and it was wrong and had I had said ma'am bless God there's no way I could do that maybe that was the last straw for her to turn from God for the rest of her life so I did the wedding Oh, don't get me wrong I could pray with my eyes open and I did the whole time but here's what I'm believing God for that one day when she's ready like this man to refuse the religiosity of those who have no grace and love for people that are bound by law that they will one day say there is a Jesus of grace hear me and truth and I want what that person has you know what she told me with tears in her eyes she says you're the only Christian I know who seems to do it right now of course there's plenty more but what she was saying is she didn't have an example to look at that could be for a lot of reasons don't skew that but then I said this Lord I got to marry him you know what that means for some of you, I've done your weddings. I make a commitment to every wedding that I do that I will be in your life, that I will follow up, and I will be here for you should anything happen. Which means I just gained access into their life for the rest of their life on this earth. God knows what he's doing. So what I'm saying is this man could have missed it. Could have missed it. You think he knew the law? They all knew the law. They knew what Sabbath was. He didn't care. Jesus said, get up, grab your bed, walk. And he did. What a miracle. What a God. Amen.